Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, Tracks, Disc 4. You're listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. This is the podcast where we used to talk about every Bruce Springsteen song alphabetically one by one, but now we're talking about all the albums and box sets in chronological order. My name's Rob Carmack, and that's J.B. Clark over there. What's up, dude? All the way over there in Mississippi. How we doing? Yeah, just meow, 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 meow. I'm just ready to like kick things off with some friggin' Waylon guitar. Oh, good. So we were talking off mic, off the air about how a four-disc box set, like, even no matter how good it is, by the time you get to the fourth disc, it's not unlike being at a buffet when you've been full <laughs> for a while, but you have to go back for more just to make it feel like you got your money's worth, and it's like, I don't want more of this. <laughs> I want more of this. Yeah, this, that it, so hard when you said that. Yeah, it's like the first disc, you're like, okay. The second disc, you're like, this is why we came here, to get more for our money. And the third disc, you're like, this is getting crazy. And the fourth disc, you're just done. Yeah, you know, I don't want to go back. I think I'm going to skip out on dessert. Yeah, this I don't could... really want that weird, you know, banana pudding anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, like, I, how bad do I need more of the banana pudding? Do, yeah. I, need, do I need more pigs in a blanket? Yeah, I'm going to really ask gonna... for them, but I don't know that I need them. Or even Am really, I really going to come back here with a plate that has chicken wings on one side and a lot of space and banana pudding on the other? Am I really going to risk that chicken wing sliding in banana pudding on the walk back to the table? Sounds like a very specific memory where we're living here. I love Jim Gaffigan's bit about what if you went to a nice restaurant and ordered what you would get at a buffet? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yes, yeah, so I would like uh, a hard shell taco with a bunch of those little ham squares in it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been on a cruise, but I'm. It, it's my understanding that that's pretty much what every meal on a cruise is like. Just everything on a cruise is that, I think. <laughs> Just too much of a bunch of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after this whole COVID-19 thing, I don't know that I'll ever want to go on a cruise. I was thinking about it the other day, though. It's so cheap right now. That uh, I might just spring for it after this, just just to <laughs> just to go, you know? Yeah. Just to get out. It was. I saw some just insane prices, <laughs> like sub. I don't. I feel like it was like five hundred dollars for like a nice for a family of ten. You know, ocean view and free childcare. <laughs> Yikes. That yeah, but <laughs> which is like that's how much it costs to get childcare. <laughs> that's a good point. So, so why not? I don't know. The fear of getting coronavirus. Yeah, but they're going to be so strict after this because they can't have another one on a boat. You know what I mean? That's I don't it. know. If there's two boats full of coronavirus, that's kind of – there's only like 80 boats. <laughs> there's like two of them that are just like full-on uh, meltdown coronavirus pandemics. Then, yeah, you won't – they won't – it'll be done. That's the end of cruises. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think – I mean watching how people are responding to this, I, I feel like we just keep going back for more. I, like I, I saw a meme the other day about – uh, bluebell ice cream like look, you want to know why texans keep going like constantly going in out and eating in bars and restaurants no matter how high the infection rate gets here's an example a couple of years ago bluebell ice cream had um whatever it was that, that was like Lister getting listeria it was getting a bunch of people sick and people stopped eating bluebell for like a week and they were like yeah but when is that new flavor coming out? and now and like you know what i mean like we look we can't Blue stop Bell ourselves shut down their fact Bluebell shut down their factories for like six months. That was totally different. We didn't eat Bluebell ice cream for like six months, and April lost her mind. And when it came back, it, we only had like vanilla in Tupelo for for a whole year. She's in there with a whole gallon of Bluebell ice cream right now. It's and that crazy new cookie. That's what flavor. I'm saying, though, man. The minute it became available again, people went nuts for it. Like, it's, oh, for sure. It, so it. But if it happened twice, that'd be different. It's like if Dave Matthews' bus driver emptied their uh, poop chute on their van over a, a <laughs> boat twice, people would have quit listening to Dave Matthews. Man. No, Completely. they wouldn't. There's all, for, for as long as people are buying Birkenstocks, there will be people listening to Dave Matthews' van. I'm telling you, if they drop poop on a, two boats, <laughs> they would they'd quit wearing Birkenstocks. <laughs> and I'm telling you, coronavirus could kill half the human population, and there would still be people who are like, what, yeah. What's the, what's the deal on that cruise? Because like I could get on board, you know what I mean? Like I, I think pe yeah. people love a deal. People love a buffet. People love uh, I don't know. I feel like pe pe people will go on cruises just to own the libs. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Speaking of <laughs> the, the situation, before we get into tracks disc four, which is what we're actually here to talk about, uh, we did. First of all, uh, thanks everybody for your patience. We did not have an episode last week. Uh, we we had some scheduling conflicts. Everybody's healthy, as far as we know. Um, but we didn't have scheduling conflicts. I we I had homework. Well, that's a scheduling I like, conflict. I was like, Rob, I'm too busy. I can't do it. I've got homework. Which is a scheduling conflict. We could not schedule our podcast. I guess so. That's that's part of that's part of the doing the business. Yeah. So uh, let let me do a quick check in. Or have you have you been watching or listening to or reading anything that you've been enjoying in the last couple of weeks? I just read this baseball book that I was hating, and then I <laughs> and then I got to the end and I just ate it up. It was so weird. A baseball book. Yeah, it's this. It's like a bunch of short stories that are all interconnected about a team during preseason. Yeah. And uh, she's trying to like interweave these mystical sort of like the the formation of Arizona, um, like as the U.S. continent moves away from Pangea, and and like Native Americans migrate over the um, the Bering Strait. She's like talking about all this every like three chapters, <laughs> but she's interweaving it with the baseball team because they're there in Arizona playing spring training. I don't know. It's it feels like she's trying to do something really self important, and it's all it's. I get that it's cool that she's trying, but I think she could have cut those chapters. What's the book? <laughs> it's called The Cactus League. And but at the last one, it's like uh it's like, you know, sometimes a little thing can really just throw off the entire rest of your uh, you know, your life. Whether that be a new tribe coming into your territory, monumental shifts in the plates, or just having an asshole GM. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, which is that's a great sentence, but you know, then she does a whole chapter about, I don't know, that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Cactus League. If you're looking for, it's interesting, like, it's an interesting form. You know, I like to, things that play with forms. Is it, are you enjoying it? Is it good? I, well, I finished it and I was, I loved it the last little bit. I was like, whoa, <laughs> that was great. Uh, but it took me forever to get to that point. And I was not having fun for a lot of it. So, so if you're looking for something that's just like, enjoyable like giving your mind a vacation maybe not that no no i think if i went back and reread it i'd enjoy it yeah i just started emma straub's new book we're all adults here uh, i love emma straub she's the best um and i've been watching the english game which is a thing about the like the beginning of soccer in england by the people who did Downton Abbey. so april's really into it too oh nice and I kind of hate it because it's all this Downton Abbey, like soft, shaky cam, rack focus shots over the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, and it's just like all about status in England and like, you know. Uh, <laughs> but. Which uh, is very Downton Abbey. Like, it, not all that yeah, class it's very Abbey. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, ooh, imperialism. Oh, let's <laughs> subjugate them. I'm doing uh, the cl- which, oh, wait, no, Like, I don't find charming like everyone else does, you know? <laughs> you know, I've never watched Downton Abbey. I've seen a couple episodes here and there, and I just hate it. <laughs> really? Just not and April's always like, you never gave it a chance. I'm like, give it six chances. You never gave it a chance. Not this everything deserves about, a chance. This one's like if Friday Night Lights met Downton Abbey. Ooh. Because, like, they all, it's it's the worker working class versus the upper class. And so, like, it's the first time, it's this team who's, like, trying to be the first team to uh, hoist the FA Cup, like a working class team, and, you know, and... I'm guessing Explosions in the Sky does not do the soundtrack. No, it's like that stupid, like, walkie violin down the hallway, and then it, like, gets quiet when they're in a candlelit room, and they're like, oh, I dare say. (laughs) (laughs) I love this place. I would die. And what what is this called? It's called The uh, English Game. The English Game. Okay. Interesting. Is it on Netflix? Yes, it is. I just assume everything is on Netflix. (laughs) So I think that these are, like... uh, these these sort of like English posh stories are kind of they're like telenovelas, but like people in America just accidentally like don't realize that just because you have a British accent it means you're smart, you know? Of course, that's that's what it is to me. Because like I've there's been some like silly soccer telenovelas, and this is the same thing, and I and I love those way more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, well, I, I've been doing a, I posted this on Instagram a couple of days ago in one of my stories, but I, I've been doing a deep dive on the replacements randomly. I'm having a hard time. Like normally I I try to read a lot of like, like deep history and theology, uh, theological like type books, 
Uh, that's not working for me right now. My brain is not accepting that information at the moment. So I've been, instead, I've been reading a lot of like rock bios and listening to a lot nice. of like deep dive on bands that I maybe want to spend more time with. So I spent the last two weeks listening to almost exclusively just listening to The Replacements while I've been reading uh, a book about The Replacements called Trouble Boys. And cool. Uh, yeah, it's very good. And I mean, it, it's been very rewarding. I really like The Replacements. I. I've never been more frustrated with a band that doesn't even exist anymore than I than I have been as I've been finishing this book. Oh, the, the replacements are probably the most self-destructive rock band that's ever existed. Um, like every single time anybody ever tried to do anything for them, they like would make them regret it. And even like when people would make ask them to do, make fully reasonable compromises, rather just to help them out just a little bit, they would just instantly make that person regret helping them all the way down to like. Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers inviting them to to open for them, leading to just ongoing fiascos on the tour. Like just uh, all, all self imposed. Like th- these are all self inflicted gunshot wounds that the replacements yeah. continue to <laughs> inflict upon themselves. And it's really frustrating because as I've been listening to, and I've I've always liked like um, what what's the, my favorite of their albums? Uh, Pleased to meet me, but but also like Tim and All Shook Down, even their last album. I, I've always really liked their albums but i've never really known that much about them and as i've been reading this book i'm realizing like oh god like the, like the fact that they were able to make great albums in spite of the fact that they were all like assholes and yeah. just like like fully self-destructive and did everything they could to like, sabotage their own careers like imagine how good they could have been how much more output they could have had if they had had even a little bit of discipline or consideration for other people so uh, anyway, all that to say, it's it's really interesting, and I really love the music of the replacements. But I don't think I like the people, specifically Paul Westerberg. Seems like just like the worst possible person. But uh, he's he's an interesting subject for a book. So if you're interested in the replacements, Trouble Boys is a really good book. And then also, I just finished watching this documentary on HBO Max called On the Record. Have you heard of this? No. It's it's the documentary. There was a little controversy controversy surrounding it because Oprah Winfrey was supposed to be one of the executive producers, but right before it uh, debuted at a film festival, she pulled out for, because it was uh, controversial. But it's basically a uh, a documentation of all of the sexual assault allegations that were lodged against uh, Russell Simmons, and uh, it is it is a damning documentary. Like if you watch it, like it oh, is wow. it, it's pretty. I mean, the way it's laid out, it, it makes it pretty undeniable that Russell Simmons has done some pretty nefarious stuff. Uh, but he's so far unaccounted. Like, he, he has served not a day in jail for any of the, like, up to the 20 different rape accusations that he has. And, um, but it's a really compelling documentary. And if you have HBO, HBO Max, it's it's on there. It's called On the Record. So anyway, all that, that's that's our check-in. I realize that has nothing to do with tracks. But quite frankly, all of that stuff uh, is more interesting than tracks disc four. So... You know, not to tip our hand too much. I don't know. You have any other things on the check-in before we get into tracks? I just saw a headline that they're making a miniseries based on James Comey's trunk book. I don't want that. If James Comey uh, was going to be a hero, he could have done it. <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> that was the right thing to say. Was it? <laughs> okay. Sorry, not to step on. Maybe you're, you're super excited. I don't know if you're a big James Comey fan. No, I don't like, you know, even really know all its hits. <laughs> yeah, so I've only almost been listening exclusively to uh, instrumental music. Because you've been studying so much? Well, that, yes, but also because, like, I don't have, I just don't have the, I don't have it for lyrics right now, you know? Yeah, I get that. I just, <laughs> I ain't got it for lyrics right now. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, it's a good thing we don't do a Bruce Springsteen podcast in which lyrics are a main feature <laughs> of our exploration. Um, yeah, you're going to have to handle that tonight. I just can't even hear lyrics right now. I got to tell you, uh, if you're going to check out on lyrics, you, you pick the right night to do it. I'm not going to. I've got lyric usua. Well, on yeah. that, let's, let's jump into it and see where we, where we go with it. So we're, we're doing track sticks for, in the same way that the last three episodes, uh, this is the fourth disc of this massive box set that was released in November 1998. A bunch of uh, listen. If you're just jumping in on the, our, our conversation about tracks on the fourth episode, just like a- episode one of this series, we we dove deep into like the history of this. Basically, it's a bunch of outtakes uh, from previous recording sessions. The last episode where we talked about tracks disc three, we kind of unofficially referred to that as "Not Born in the USA" because most of the songs from that 
disc were outtakes from the Born in the USA sessions. This disc could be called Not Human Touch. Uh, because a lot of this material was from the Human Touch sessions, but left off. And quite frankly, none of, or I'm not going to say none, most of the stuff on disc four of tracks is not as good as most of the stuff on Human Touch. So, which is, uh, as, as we pointed out several times, Human Touch, not necessarily Bruce Springsteen's best album. So just nope. imagine a bunch of songs that weren't good enough to be on not Bruce Springsteen's best album. Yeah. And that's what we're dealing with with most of this disc. Not to be that too harsh said, too quickly. There are about as many songs that are about as good as are on the actual album. <laughs> that is that okay. That'll be an interesting conversation for us to have as we go because I, Bruce Bruce agrees with you. Bruce, uh, Bruce told Rolling Stone magazine that quote the majority of the fourth CD is as good or better than the record that I ended up putting out, referring to Human Touch. So he, he Bruce has fully said he's gone on record as saying disc four of tracks is as good <laughs> or better than actual Human Touch. Um, yeah, I mean, you definitely have some real stinkers, real yes. stinkers, but you also have like, uh, you got a couple like strong songs. Yeah. There's some, there's some good stuff here. I mean, and, and definitely you could have played a little bit of like shuffle like between this and human touch and probably made a, at, at least a 20% better album. If you had picked the right stuff to substitute out, um, mm-hmm. Bruce actually goes on to say, he says, quote, it may get disc four, may get closer to what I was actually trying to write about than the record that I put out at the time in some fashion. So like there, so apparently somewhere in disc four is the message that Bruce was actually trying to convey when he made Human Touch. Yeah. So all that said, let's get into it. Yeah. Look, man, I think we just chewed the most plot we've ever chewed to get to it. All right. But I'm glad because it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. I mean, if if you if you showed up here for uh, disc four and you listened to us talk about like. British soccer and the replacements, you know, sorry about that, but you know, we got here, we got here, British soccer. Um, we got here and we're ready for it. Um, so first track leaving train just kicks straight on out with a guitar solo. That's blues rock. This is a human touch outtake. I'm going to say this pretty much every time, but this is a human touch outtake just to keep track. So yeah, blues rock, some guitar, blues rock, you know, it's like a poor man, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I have ZZ Top, but yes. <laughs> In my, ZZ my notes, Top. I wrote ZZ Top, yeah. I, I mean, I think ZZ Top's great, but I think they might be a little bit of a poor man, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it might be controversial, but... I don't think Stevie that is Stevie Ray Vaughan is uh, widely uh, credited as being one of the greats. I don't think any guitar player is going to tell you that it's controversial to say ZZ Top is a poor man, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Okay, just making sure. I say that I don't know. I'm not a musician, but like that sounds that doesn't sound like something that would be controversial to me. Okay, okay. So anyway, but this is neither. This is leaving train. So like what? It, we, okay, so this is the game we're gonna have to play the whole way through because Bruce set it up this way. Is Human Touch a better album or a worse album if if Leave and Train is on it? Better album. I agree. I think Leave and Train would have been a stronger addition to this to this record. Uh, lyrically, I mean, really, I don't know that there's a lot to explore here. Lyrically, it's no, you know, I mean, yeah, it, it is, it is what it is, but but it is, it's a solid rock song, it, and it this has sounds like what what he wanted to do with Human Touch. Well, and it, it sounds a little bit like what he ends up doing on Lucky Town. Like if if Human Touch had been like fifteen percent less overproduced, yeah, this is what Human Touch would have sounded like, right? Lucky Town, yeah. This could have also made Lucky Town a better album. Yeah, I well, I think Lucky Town's a great album. I'm I'm on record as saying that, but yeah, Human Touch could use use some work, and I th- I think this would have been a good one. To, yeah. to but I mean, like, I gave it four stars. You know, there's songs on Lucky Town that I don't have four stars. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and th- I mean, this is a good track one. So if you're like putting, if you're if you're if you spent some time at the buffet, and you're not sure if you want to go all the way to disc four, and you you set this one in the player, and you're like, okay, I'm just gonna see what's going on here before I bail. This is a pretty good, this will hook you in, right? Like, you'd stay for another song after this. This is like, uh, you're thinking about dessert, but then you're like, I might go see if there's anything I just want to, that I really like that I want to nibble on a little bit before I get dessert. Let me see if there's any more of those rolls. Yeah, those shrimps are pretty good. I might go get some of those. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I'm always doing. Ooh, those stuffed shrimps are pretty good. Yeah, leave and train, that's a good good way to put it. Leave and train is the bacon wrapped shrimp of disc four. It's the thing that's like, well, I'm pretty full, but I do like that bacon wrapped shrimp though. So. It's like getting that that uh, cream cheese wonton. That, uh, <laughs> you were like, I'm going to get two cream cheese wontons the first round, and then the second round, but you don't. You just get one. In the second round, you're like, I should have gotten two cream cheese wontons. 
Yeah. Well, so that leads us to track two, which is Seven Angels. Seven Angels. Yet another human touch outtake. This is another rocker. So it's stay, staying sort of at that frequency. So better or worse, human touch with or without Seven Angels. This is fun. It's kind of punk. It Damn. maybe would have been fun on the record, but it's not a good song. Uh, Randy Jackson on bass. He's got a couple little solos. Does that make it better? I, I just don't like the song, really, you know? Yeah. L- lyrically, it's not great. It's, yeah. it's the one where, where he, like, he kind of counts off like all the different angels like that, that are influencing. Well, we we did a whole like lyrical deep dive on this one uh, a while back, and yeah, I, I I don't I don't remember having that strong a feeling about like how the lyrics here. It's definitely like a fun '90s song musically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with like with some yeah with some cool like bass drops, but. I would take no, this I... over 57 channels and nothing on if he decided to make this track three. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it's I, I think Human Touch is a slightly better song if either Leaving Train thought, or Seven Angels is track three. I always thought, like, if you needed a bad song that would be better than 57 channels, you would put, like, Go and Cali. Yeah. Or Loose Change. I mean, well, and not, not to not, not to jump too far ahead, but yeah, there, there's a, if you want if you needed one of the bass, one of the An- Angelo Battlementi, David Lynch style songs on here, then uh, then yeah, they're all like almost all of them are better than Fifty Seven Channels. I don't know why, but Loose Change is filed as not spare parts in my head. <laughs> it's the same basic metaphor. Yeah. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but you know it is. So yeah. anyway, Seven Angels. It's it's yeah. another rocker. There's some guitar. Randy Jackson's got some bass. It's kind of a lame metaphor. Yeah. So then uh gave it a name. Track three gave it a name. I think this is I think this is the one of the highlights of this disc. This is one of my two favorite songs on this disc. Yeah, I remember loving the lyrics, but not I think I I think I found like the recording really annoying. That's why I couldn't give it more stars. Yeah, well, it, it's one of those, it's, again, it's a human touch outtake. It's completely, this is one of the only songs they fully, 100% re-recorded for tracks. With, and with, it's just Bruce and Roy Bitten on, on keyboards. So this is, like, like you were saying, this is one of the bass sessions. So there, for, for those who maybe, if, if, just if you're jumping in on this, there was a time when Bruce thought it was possible that he was going to want to make a full album of songs that like was bass guitar forward. And so he himself sits down to play the bass part and basically use the bass to write and record certain songs and 57 channels and nothing on is the only song from those sessions that ended up on the record but there's a lot of stuff that he worked on that didn't end up making it on the record and gave it a name as one of those songs yeah so i would argue controversial opinion perhaps i would argue this is his best quote bass guitar forward song in my opinion uh i don't think you're wrong okay I'm glad. I, dude, I think I was mad the first time I wrote. I'm looking at my notes from the first time we talked about this song. Yeah. I wrote, uh, it sounds like he plugged his telly into a chorus pedal and then plugged that into a pocket amp and then plugged that into a bad PA and then recorded it with a karaoke mic and a three cassette recorder. <laughs> it, it does sort of feel like he's trying super hard to make it feel lo-fi, right? Yeah. Except for the like <laughs> organs in the background. <laughs> yeah. like it, It's almost like, like what if Nebraska was about the bass guitar? Yeah. <laughs> But it's like, look, man, you're you're recording in your like new, like super nice house in Beverly Hills with state of the art recording equipment. This is not Nebraska on 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 the edge of your bed in New Jersey. Like you're we're, we're at a yeah. different level now, you know. Um, that's a good point, though. It it does sort of feel like it's trying super hard to sound like a cheap recording. Yeah. Well, and especially because like this isn't an outtake. I mean, it's technically an outtake, but the recording is a full blown re record. So like this could have sounded as clean as Bruce wanted it to sound. Yeah. Um, but like thematically, obviously, I don't think thematically this would have worked on Human Touch because Human Touch is about the di- like human disconnection. And this song is about like the discovery and the realization of human evil, which I think is a more interesting subject. Quite frankly, I think Bruce is more adept at, at exploring those ideas. Uh, any, anyway, so I, I, d- I don't blame him for not including it on this particular album. But at the same time, I think it's better than a lot of the stuff that did end up on the album. I, I have one question for you about this song. Okay. How often, how, how many times a week? Because <clears throat> I suspect this is, is how many times a week. <laughs> um, do you see something and have the thought in your head, be careful, son, 
poison snake bite you, you poison too. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. I have that exact same quote in my notes. Poison snake bites you, you're poison too. It's not the only time he'll use that too. How often do you have that thought a week? I mean, I think that a lot more now that we're in a pandemic. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me. <laughs> it's dark. Yeah. It's, it's true, but... <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, it's not... Scientifically, it's not true, but it is... Uh, it's an interesting thought experiment. Like it's the, true as anything can be, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, but it's also not true. I tend to... This, this song, for me, is irrevocably con, uh, connected to the HBO miniseries Show Me a Hero. Oh. Because this is... If you watch Show Me a Hero... Yeah. They're, over the opening credits of the first episode, this is the song that, that it's playing, which I think is interesting. And, and the, the whole series is filled with Bruce Springsteen songs in the soundtrack. But this is the first thing you hear. If you watch Show Me a Hero, the first thing you hear is this song. And that is remarkable because, I mean, it, first of all, it's it's a deep cut. But second of all, it really gets at, I think, what Show Me a Hero is about, which is sort of like the corrosive nature of things that we try and normalize. Like, all the ways that yeah. human evil seem normal and reasonable to us in the moment. Which, I mean, is very prescient right now in this, you know. I need right. to rewatch Show Me a Hero. Show Me a Hero is great. It's, it's like about... It's the it's the real lives of what happens inside of a newspaper story, but without being about the reporter that wrote it. I was gonna say, yeah, it's about housing, but it you're right. It is like it, it's a um, it's like an investigative reporting. I mean, well, I mean that's and that's David Simon's beat. That's that's his yeah. whole deal. But which is why what makes him such a great writer. Um, You've seen Homicide: Life on the Streets, right? Yes, the only thing of his. Well, I say I haven't seen the Deuce either, but the, the Deuce and Homicide are the only things of his I've never seen. I've seen a, a season and a half of the Deuce. It didn't work for me. Yeah, I wasn't. I don't know. I, I heard it was good. I just never went for it. Um, I think I'm kind of for James Franco. Yeah, yeah. I have. I don't really love James Franco, but uh, I do love Oscar Isaac, who stars in Show Me a Hero. And, and so, yeah, I think I think this song. And what, uh, what's the uh, what's her name? What's her name? What's her name? Catherine Keener. Oh, I forgot she's in that show. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. When she's I, very I good. I fell in love with her in that. She's very good in that. Yeah. Um, you know what? And this is one I, I, I tend to, and maybe it's because of the connection to Show Me a Hero, and it plays over the opening credits, a la Streets of Philadelphia in the movie Philadelphia. But I like I, I constantly think, like, what would it, how would it have been if Bruce had gone ahead and made that Streets of Philadelphia album that he was thinking about making? And I feel like this song absolutely should have ended up on if if that album had existed this song belongs on that album you know yeah well and you know i i don't love that i i think whenever we think about like would that album have happened i'm never like ooh, that would have been an amazing album but like this and philadelphia are incredible <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah, I, I maybe yeah maybe that's a, it's, maybe it's just my desire to see those two songs on a proper album so that they get yeah. more. What if you really did have this like cinematic, you know, LA record? Yeah. I I like the thought of it. And I definitely think and maybe that's another playlist that we make. Like the I guess the he did come out with a cinematic. He did come out with a cinematic LA record. What was it? Oh, Western Scar- Stars. I almost said Western yeah. Scars. Yeah. Western Scars. Ooh. It's gonna I, be the name of his like American sessions. <laughs> I I was on a Zoom call yesterday with a guy who asked me like, "Hey, what'd you think of that Bruce Springsteen documentary, Western Stars?" And I, I said, "I I loved it." He was like, "Really?" Because I expected it to be more like about his life and about his music, and I thought they'd be playing. More. It was just like a live concert, and I was like, "Dude, you missed the point. You did. You don't get it. Get out of here with that." Because because <laughs> like that's what a Bruce Springsteen fan doesn't want. Just like photos and like clips of him in the studio, like there's you can get that if you watch The Promise or Wings for Wheels. Yeah. If you want, if you want to hear what Western Stars was, that's what you watch Western Stars for, my friend. You know, so I had to, yeah. give, I had to give him a little bit of a talking to. Like you didn't <laughs> understand what you to. were getting into. You rented, you, you asked for something that you didn't really want, and so yeah. that's uh, you know, anyway, he understands now. Yeah, it, well, he, won't, he won't be bothering us anymore. Western Stars, LA albums, uh, Sad Eyes is. <laughs> I think Sad Eyes is a great song. I so that, that's track four. Perfect. Track four here Next is Sad track, Eyes. Yeah, Human Touch Lover Outtake. Man. I'll, I uh, have in my my the very first lit, uh, word in my notes here is falsetto. Yeah. Say. <laughs> yep. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's the song, I, dude. I love that song. It's one of my favorite songs. Chuck Plotkin agrees with you. Uh, pr- uh, record producer Chuck Plotkin 
has stated that he feels like this song would have been a major hit if Bruce had put it on the record. Agreed? 100%. Sad Eyes is a perfect song. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know. That, I've never connected with it, but I don't necessarily disagree. I, I feel like if, if this had been one of the songs on the Human Touch record, it probably would. It would have been a more consistent record, probably thematically, and it pro- like not on, not only on message but also on sound. And so th- it probably. I think he's probably right. I think this probably could. I don't know if it would have been as big a hit as Plotkin thinks it would have been, but I think it it probably would have gotten more radio play than most of the other stuff on that record did. All right, I want you to imagine this. Okay. You feel a little queasy in your stomach. Your shirt feels like it fits weird because it's kind of itchy. You got. You know, your face kind of hurts because you got a bunch of acne because you're in middle school right now. And you're in a gym and you're mm. kind of sweaty. But you finally get up the courage to talk with Susie over in the corner. with the She's got a giant pink bow on, but it's like kind of cute, you know. And you're chatting and then Sad Eyes comes on and the lights go down. <laughs> All right. Like it would have been a huge hit. <laughs> it would have, like, people would be married and born because of this song. Eighth graders in 1993 would have gone nuts for this song. Yeah, I guess 1993 is kind of... No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just imagine some kids like in some track jacket, like some windsuits, holding hands and walking through the park and sharing like the first-gen earbuds that were basically just headphones without the thing over the top. I mean, that yeah, that was that was a time where stuff like this was getting a lot of traction. So that's probably right. Like, well, and it, not, not exactly the first time that Bruce is going to not use a song that might have gotten him more radio play, but... yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I mean, looking at the track list from Human Touch, like there's a lot of stuff here that you could have easily like taken out and put Sad Eyes in its place, and it would it would have strengthened the record for sure. For sure. Oh, also, uh, to speak to that exact thing, I, I just now saw this in my notes. Uh, this song was featured in an episode of Dawson's Creek, which fully proves you right, because Ooh. that that show was like soaking wet with uh, melodramatic teen angst, yeah. music wise. So. That, uh, yeah, you're right. Dawson's Creek has, has proven you're right. Yeah, dude. Also, Mark that, Anthony has covered this song. That, uh, yeah. Yeah, Th- absolutely. That sound right? <laughs> absolutely. I've not listened yeah. to his cover of it. It's so, this is the, it, it just sad as is a great song. Well, then, from there, track five uh, is another Human Touch outtake, and it's My Lover Man. And it uh, is my love, my lover man, and over the rise have the exact same bass part at like the exact same tempo. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff. This is one of the reasons why I think disc four isn't that interesting. It's because like sometimes they're you, they pair these songs up. He or Bruce pairs up these songs that are almost interchangeable. Like I feel like leaving train yeah. and seven angels could have been interchangeable, and sad I, or uh, my lover man and over the rise could have been interchangeable in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, it it does like this is one of the reasons why this this disc just doesn't work for me is because I just feel like I'm getting a lot more of what I didn't really want to begin with you know like it's not even yeah. a sampler platter it's just too much <laughs> I don't want more of this yeah I don't want more <laughs> I'm all I'm all full so so yeah so my lover man this is sung from the perspective of presumably of a woman who is always quick to forgive her man when he strays no matter how much he does it this is a stand by your man type of song. This is a there is a rumor that this was written for uh, Rumble Doll, Patty Scalfa's debut album. Oh, that sounds right. It's that has never been confirmed. Why do you think she didn't use it? I don't know. It's not that great. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, not to, not, not to be rude, but like, what what on her album music. is better than this? <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's a good album. God help me if Patty ever listens to this. I'm so sorry, Patty. We love you. Uh, no, and, I think her album's better than this. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just if if I was look if I was married to Bruce Springsteen and he wrote me a song, I'd be like, I'm gonna use that. You know, even even if I didn't like it, I'd be like, I'll, I'll go ahead and use it. <laughs> if I was married to a famous person and I was about to put out my own first record of stuff, and they handed me one of their songs to put on it, I would kick them out of the house. <laughs> this is my record. That might be true for most people, but we're talking about Bruce freaking. This is my record. All right, that's fair enough. So she didn't use it, um, but they she didn't kick him out of the house either. No, she didn't. Thank God. So, any my, feelings about this song? No, I have no feelings about this song. I don't care. <laughs> Do you have any feelings about the next track, "Over the Rise"? No, literally, the only thing I have written under "Over the Rise" is "Human Touch Outtake." <laughs> 
I've I, I sat and I listened to it two times today and walked away with no the, no thoughts or feelings about it whatsoever. Do you have any thoughts? Um, bow, bow. <laughs> no. I kind of like what he's doing with his voice. You know, it's fun. Yeah, I like just uh, yelling to the back of the room and and having a real clear sound. That's good, but that's it. I was tempted to go back and listen to our episode on this one just so I could remember what we talked about. Like this is one. This is one of those. Songs, we spent thirty minutes probably talking about this song, and it ha- it still has left no impression on me. You know? Yeah. Like at this point, for you and I to have no thoughts on a Bruce Springsteen song, like what? We've been doing this for a while. We spent, at, again, at least 20 to 30 minutes per song. And to even now have have listened to this song twice today and walked away thinking, like, I don't know. I, don't, I got nothing. Like, that's a shame, man. Yeah. Because it's not even that it's bad. It's just I don't care. Um, do you care about Bruce Springsteen written on the bass songs? Uh, say what? Do you care about the songs that Bruce wrote on the bass? Uh, well, I mean, at the very least, they're different. They 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 leave an impression on me, regardless of whether or not I like them. So you're, oh, I assume you're asking about one of those. When the lights go out, think, I, or is that a Randy Jackson special? I don't hate when the lights go. Well, it's not Randy Jackson. Bruce is playing the bass here, but um, it is a human Bruce touch is, outtake. Bruce is pretty funky for, uh, you know, you know. <laughs> Such a white boy sometimes yeah. on the bass on this song. Well, and that's the, the thing about the bass songs is even though I don't like most of them, I, I can at least respect that he's trying something. He's he's attempting a different thing that he's never done. And and I think he knows it's mostly not working. But it, at least he's trying it. And the fact that not only did he try it, but he put a lot of these songs out on this so that we would all hear them is... I think that's that's interesting to me. I'm I'm not I'm yeah. not mad at him for for releasing or for writing and releasing these songs, as opposed to he was certainly like, proud of it when he made it. You know? Say what? It's, it's I mean it was certainly something to be proud of when he made it. Well, yeah. Well, I think he liked this song particularly because there's an acoustic version of this on the Christic Institute's uh, concert recordings. Oh yeah, yeah, and and it's pretty good. Like he like his live recording of this things. song is not bad. Like I I'm I'm not mad at this song. In fact, this is one. I, I think this would have been better than 57. I think Human Touch would be 10% better if he took off 57 channels on Ethanol and put this in its place. Yeah, dude. If I would do a show and I saw him play the bass and sing this at the same time, that's the thing that I would talk about. People are like, how'd the Springsteen show go? Yeah. I would say, have you heard When the Lights Go Out? He played bass and sang at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I would be very impressed because it's, I don't know, it's just a cool song. Like, the melody and the bass part and, Yeah. It is a little bit, I don't, I mean, not unlike a lot of the stuff on this record on Human Touch, I, the metaphor doesn't really work that much for me. The Bruce compares no. unfaithful lovers with corrupt, secretive government agencies. You know, it, it's, I mean, it's fine. And musically, I think it's better musically than it is lyrically. Yeah. And like the organ's a little overdramatic and there's some, some questionable uh, miscellaneous percussion. Um, yeah. You know, but but it's a very interesting song. Yeah, for I sure. think that's right. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not. And mad then you at got it. no, and then you got loose change, which we both rated a little bit higher than when the lights go out. Another human touch outtake, another bass session songs. Yeah, I kind of like loose change. I mean, it's about aimlessness, which I think is again, it it does sort of have that David Lynch, Angela Battlementi feel. I, I very recently watched Lost Highway, and so I'm like, I'm I'm feeling this song. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's and I, yeah, it's good. There's it, not a lot to it. And the mood, I, I think, unlike some of the songs from these sessions, I think the mood matches the song, you know, with Loose Change. Because this feels like a like a lonely song. And the the lyrics sort of match that mood a little bit. And it, it's true to its own form. So I I, I respect this song. I'm I'm good with this song. Yeah. I, I, I do too. A lot. I also love like sad songs about cigarettes. <laughs> Oh, I know you. Like that's a specific genre of music that I love. <laughs> that's that's a that's a JB special right there. Oh man, I'm gonna make the best, uh, like Bruce Springsteen, Elliot Smith, Death Cab for Cutie, uh, Spotify playlist. Just sad songs about cigarettes. Oh man, that's that's JB's bullseye. There's a band called Cigarettes After Sex, and that's just all their music. It's just really sad songs about cigarettes. <laughs> They're incredible. It's good to have a uh, seriously have a niche. chance to see their KEXP session. It is incredible. All right, send it to me. All right, all right. 
Well, then that leads us to track nine, which is Trouble in Paradise. Another human touch outtake. That's 100% human touch outtake so far, by the way. Um, yeah. I, I think I read somewhere that Roy Bitten started writing this song for Don Henley, uh, which <laughs> makes so much sense. Like, yeah. This makes no yeah. sense to me at all as a Bruce Springsteen song. But the minute you say like Don Henley, I'm like, oh, right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. That Now we're, now we're back in the world I live in. That sounds right. Oh, dude. I'm going to give you a uh, – this is a better version. If you listen to Theo Katzman, uh, he's got a song called Hard Work on his record, The Heartbreak Hits. And it, it is a better version of this song. He's like uh, – it's called – you know, he's singing like I'll Put In The Hard Work. And he's just like singing this like kind of R&B feeling, rock and roll, like Stevie Ray Vaughan guitar parts. Um, and he's talking about um, – He's talking about like all the housework that he's gonna do for his girl. <laughs> That's really funny. I put in the hard work. <laughs> that, these... Yeah, it's it's a better, it's a much better version of the song. Yeah, the housework stuff here just doesn't. I mean, like the division of labor and that. I don't know. It, it. I mean, really, it's a less subtle version of most of the stuff you see on Tunnel of Love. Like I could see this. Be, really, to me, this makes more sense as a Tunnel of Love outtake than a Human Touch outtake. You know. It feels like it takes itself too seriously as a love song to be about like household chores. <laughs> Which is why it would have been a great Don Henley song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you put this on Don Henley's greatest hits and you're like, that that song works. <laughs> Don Henley or uh, it would have been a good uh, Jimmy Buffett song. Yeah. Yeah, there yeah, and that that's been sort of a consistent theme too along uh, the, the lines of the tracks which is like sometimes it's like this song makes more sense to me in the hands of a different in, in the hands of a of a Don Henley or a Jimmy Buffett or a John yeah. Mellencamp you know like sometimes sometimes it's like well no, this not John had yeah, a he was a little more than that well no like um what, what's the one that, that sounds like a John Mel- uh I want to be with you yeah that totally sounds like a John I mean it sounds like the best John Mellencamp song ever but it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, it's got a John Mellencamp. If if somebody told me that Bruce wrote that song for John Mellencamp, I'd be like, yes, that sounds right. Yeah. Um. But th- this also like hell yes, Bruce Springsteen's just been writing songs for John Mellencamp. That's fantastic. I know people who don't know the difference between Bruce Springsteen and John Mellencamp, and I'm reconsidering my friendship with them. But <laughs> that, that's, oh that's man, that would be like finding out that. Uh, that like Madonna's been writing lyrics for Taylor Swift for a while. <laughs> I'd be fine with that. Like, I don't. But you're just like, like Taylor Swift's great, but like Madonna is like, you know, the the founder of a lot of the stuff. The queen in of that pop. area. Yeah. And like to find out that she'd been like low key, just like writing some songs for someone who's like not her peer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It. it yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's a there's a lower tier. I think Taylor Swift is a. Um, I mean, I don't know if this is gone. No, I think I, she's a great artist, a very I, good songwriter. Records on vinyl. I think she's a, a a very savvy businesswoman. I'm just saying that like Madonna, in invented the genre that she has moved into. Oh, that's for sure. Yes, um, or modernized it. Yeah. So yeah, the idea the idea the idea that Roy Bitten was like, I'm gonna write a song for Don Henley, and then Bruce heard him working on it and was like, What if I help you out and we'll just make this my song? What if it I just I don't know, man. I, I I do kind of wish we lived in the in the world where this had ended up in Don Henley's hands, because yeah. I, I I would be like, really, I would probably be like, This is one of the middle tier Don Henley songs, but in in a Bruce Springsteen catalog, I'm like, I don't need this at all, you know. So I I hold Bruce to higher standards than I hold Don Henley. Controversial yeah. statement. How do you feel about happy? Uh, happy bums me out. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, track ten, happy. This is a Lucky Town outtake, which sounds that doesn't make any sense to me at all because Lucky Town is a rocker, and this song right. isn't. This song, uh, yeah, it was actually recorded after the Lucky Town sessions were over, and there's speculation that Bruce considered taking this song and using it as a last minute replacement for My Beautiful Reward. JB, how do you feel like this song? It, let, let's say we live in a world where this song is on Lucky Town and My Beautiful Reward is not. How do you feel about that? I think I think I don't. I, I think I would not like that. Yeah. Because uh, I like My Beautiful Reward a lot. Yeah, I do too. I'm a I'm a far star. I mean, a four star on that. Uh, but I like uh, Happy too. I, you know, I just I like My Beautiful Reward Reward a little better. People really like this song. I, I've heard several people say. I think, in fact, we've had several listeners say. That this was a song that they danced to at their wedding. Yeah. 
So I mean, that'd be fun because I like to be happy around sad music. Yeah. Well, and I mean, well, Chuck- it's not. It just feels sad, you know. It's like he's happy. But yeah, but like somebody needs to tell his face because. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or his voice or whatever. Uh, in fact, Chuck Plotkin, uh, record producer Chuck Plotkin says, ha- quote, have you ever heard anybody sound less happy than he sounded <laughs> saying that he was happy? That's uh, no, I have not. That's about right. Yeah, cor- correct, Chuck. That's that's a good read on that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like it. It's fine. I, I don't know. I don't know if it would have changed fundamentally. Lucky. I don't know if Lucky Town would have been better or worse. If this had subbed in for my beautiful reward, I, I think I pretty much I think my feelings about that record would pr- pretty much be what they are right now, which is pretty relatively positive. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm I'm already on record as saying that Lucky Town is Bruce's best '90s album, and I feel like if this was on it instead of my beautiful reward, I still think I would think that. So, I'm yeah, I'm fundamentally unchanged by that scenario. Um, what about Part Man Part Monkey? <laughs> I hate this song. Uh, part not to, white, not to just get too negative too gay in there. Yeah, this is a, a we're back to human touch. So this is a human touch outtake. This is full blown, like you said, it's white reggae. Um, it, it's a song about human nature. It's set against the backdrop of the 1925 Scopes Monkey Trial in Dayton, Tennessee. Uh, Bruce apparently had recently uh, watched the movie Inherit the Wind, the t- would not the actual one, the TV adaptation of the play, not the 1960s uh, Spencer Tracy film, but so like the low rent TV TV movie version. <laughs> Of Inherit the Wind, and so that he watched like a like a bad version of Inherit the Wind, and was like, "I'm gonna write a song about this." Like maybe maybe don't, man. This is like Ghost of Tom Jones coming soon, so that's that's gonna work really well. But and that's also based on a movie that you watched. But man, this is not it for you. I, I don't know. How do you feel about it? I don't like it. No, um, I don't like it, and I I'm pretty sure that I don't like it in the intro, and then when he sings. United States, for whatever reason, the way he sings it is so like, I just know at that moment I'm fully out. And then by the time he's part man, part monkey, I'm like, no way. I can't do this song. This song is terrible. It's, it's a dumb song. I really, I mean, not not to just be like hardcore negative. It's, it's just not a very good song. Um, guitar, it's good, but it, it sucks that it's with this. Well, and we've talked several times about how neither of us really responds that strongly to white reggae. And then yeah. to take white reggae and then make it about something that's kind of dumb like which and he, uh, he's using the the scopes monkey trial as like the backdrop of like human nature like oh you know men are primal and you know i've got all these like primal urges and that makes me part monkey like god that's dumb that that, that i mean that is that, i mean it's toxic masculinity as a joke but it's also like man bruce you're so much better than this like you you don't have to do this in fact you already did a slightly better version of this with like real man you know and yeah. like that you went back to the well and made it worse that's that's offensive. I say made it work. Like he, this song is actually older than that. He wrote this song before he, uh, Tunnel of Love. In fact, he played it a bunch on the Tunnel of Love Express tour in 1988, but he recorded it for Human Touch. So he played it a bunch on a tour, came off the tour, breaks up the E Street Band, goes into the studio, is like, I'm going to record Part Man, Part Monkey, because that's going to go on the next album. And th- I mean, at some point, he didn't put it there. But that just tells you, like, maybe Bruce was not making great choices all the time um, during those <laughs> during those sessions. <laughs> You know, yeah, because, yeah, it's bad. And I don't know if people were obviously I was not at any of the Tunnel of Love Express tour. I was seven, so I didn't get to go to any of those shows. So I don't know how the fans were feeling about that song at the shows. Maybe he was getting a good read off of them. And he was like, man, people really want that on the records. Uh, I I cannot imagine that people were hearing this song live and were like, man, I hope he puts this on the next album. You know, like, yeah, it's, it's not good. Or even like clapping at the end. <laughs> yeah, this this definitely I feels like a guitar a, player. Like yeah, this definitely feels like the minute where I would like turn to the person next to me like I'm gonna run to the bathroom. <laughs> like, I'll uh, yeah. I'll be back. So especially if, if people were going to like multiple shows as they usually do, if if people were already like following him from show to show. Oh yeah. If you were like at your third show and he like whips out part man part monkey, this is definitely the point where I'm like I'm gonna have to I'll be, I have to You're be gone. Right back. Yeah. But I would plan my whole time around it if that was me. No, you're going to be, you would be like, oh man, I was going to go to the bathroom during part man, part monkey, but it's going to be so crowded. (laughs) No, that's a good point. It'd be like intermission basically. (laughs) Yeah. It's basically halftime. (laughs) Yeah. I hate this song. This is, I don't, is is this the worst song on disc four? I mean, I don't, I don't think going Cali's any better. Or seven angels. Let's then let, I think, I think seven angels. Or trouble in paradise. I think trouble in paradise is worse. And I think, Callie might 
is not good either. But I, you know, Going Cali again is one of those is one of those bass songs that I just love to listen to, even though I do not like them or like do not think they're good songs. I still love to listen to them. Well, on that note, let's go to track twelve, Going Cali. Let's talk about it's like possibly the only song worse than Part Man, Part Monkey. This is another Human Touch outtake. Um, this is it's this is about Bruce moving to California. California, yeah. here I come, back right back where we started yeah. from. Yeah, I don't care at all about this song. It's it's deeply uninteresting, and I'm glad I'm glad he didn't put it on an album, and I almost wish he didn't put it on this box. I, I feel like this song is not even good enough for this box set. But like, if I was sitting out with a drummer and he was just like tapping out four in his hi hats, and I started playing that that bass part, like we would definitely feel like we were going somewhere. You know what I mean? Like we would be, I would be sitting there like bent knees playing that bass part, and he'd be like about to just break into something. You know, like it's I don't know. It's yeah. Just, he doesn't nail it. <laughs> yeah. And that's all I have to say about that. Same. So then we go to Back in Your Arms, which is track 13. This was recorded for the Greatest Hits sessions. Um, Brian Hyatt speculates that this is the kind of song Bruce would ordinarily have given to Southside Johnny, <laughs> which I think is probably right. And then uh, Chuck Plotkin thinks this song is actually about Bruce's relationship with his audience toward the end of his initial, what, what he refers to as his wilderness period. So basically, like he, he feels like he was kind of drifting from his audience with the Tunnel of Love tour and kind of distancing himself from his legacy and breaking up the E Street Band and doing like mixing up the set list and being a little, quite frankly, being a little bit hostile with his audience sometimes. And um, and Brian Hyatt thinks like this is Bruce saying basically like I'd like to get back together with my audience, <laughs> you know? Yeah. How do you feel about that read on it? Um, I think a lot of artists have those songs. I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I remember him doing this um, back towards the end of the third leg of the River Tour in 1996 when he was playing, I think it was in Philadelphia. I think he did this song. And um, I think people, re- I, I think it was in Philadelphia. I could be wrong. It could have been like Virginia Beach. But um, I, I feel like people got super excited that he pulled, he, he did this song. I think, I think in general, people feel pretty good about this one. Yeah, I really like it. It feels genuine. Like maybe it really is about his fans. You know, it just feels really genuine. And the organ is 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 heavenly. It is spiritual. Yeah, I yeah. I feel like of the stuff on disc four, this is better. I think I think it's better than probably at least fifty percent of the stuff that's on disc four. This song to me is like walking to Memphis. Like it's kind of cheesy, but I love it. I love it fully unironically as much as you can. That's exactly how I feel about walking in Memphis. I love that song. <laughs> yeah. Well, think about that, but like, you know, spending a lot of time there <laughs> and, and Memphis is exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, th- I like it. It's, I mean, I, I don't know that I'd get excited if I saw him do it live, but I, I like it. Yeah. Um, uh, and then brothers Under the bridge is another song that I think um, is highly rated, which is the next one. This is my favorite song in disc four. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think of, I'm gonna say of all the songs on all of tracks, I think this song deserved to be on the album that it was made for more than any other song on the entire box set. This this song, okay. this is a Ghost of Tom Jode outtake, and it's about a homeless Vietnam veteran. And we've we talked. To, I mean, obviously, we did a whole episode about the entire album Ghost of Tom Joe. We also talked about every other song from Ghost of Tom Joe individually. Mm-hmm. And that album is about disenfranchisement. It's about people living on the margins. And it's it, a lot of it is about people who are, have gone like back and forth across the border. Uh, in fact, there's even a song called Across the Border. Yeah. So it, this doesn't fit necessarily that portion of the narrative, but it does fit the narrative of people who are often unseen in, in society. And yeah. it's... I mean, and musically, I think it's a really good song. I think it's stronger than most of the stuff on, on the album. I think if Ghost of Tom Joad had I, I think i think i mean we've, we've we've already talked a lot about like the the final track of that that album which i frequently forget about which is uh, my best was never good enough if you take yeah. off my best was never good enough you make this the closing track of ghost of tom joad perfect th- then you've got these pillars you have the opening track goes to the title track you've got youngstown in the middle and you have this at the end that's those are the pillars that's what you need to hold that album together that's and a good point. I, th- I think Ghost of Tom Joad would be infinitely better with this song somewhere on it, at the very least. And I think that is one of my favorite and one of the most valid of your rants. <laughs> <laughs> well, th- of all the rants, I- I- I'm glad you really like that one. I do really rank some of my friends' rants. I just, you know, I love it. Well, it's good that we're recording them all so we can go back and like actually listen to them in real time. Yeah. So, yeah, how, how-, how do you feel about it? You like the song? I think it's a great song. Yeah. 
I think it absolutely would have made the album better. I think it's it's sonically way more pleasing than a lot of what's on that album too. Fully agree with that. But that lab steel that's just barely in the right ear. Oh, oof. I really yeah yeah I really wish this song was on that record. In fact, sometimes in my mind I, I pretend like it is just because I love I love this song and yeah that, that it's I love like the like, lab steel's so bottom right and the the violin or the fiddle is so top left that it almost makes you like kind of turn sideways. It almost makes you diagonal. That's you an interesting to. read on it on the the sonic sort of layout of this song. Yeah. Um, I I just I feel like it's such a bummer that this song is buried as the final track on a four disc box set. Yeah. Like I feel like not not nearly enough people have heard this song. Yeah. This song needs a better hearing than that. So um I, I would have I mean I I don't know who was in the booth exactly and who was helping Bruce make decisions other than just Bruce himself during Ghost of Tom Jones sessions, but man, I would have fought hard for this one. And the limping snare throughout, like mm. just the dragging limping snare yeah. is brilliant. Yeah, it's a good song, man. I, I like it. I'm 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 sad that it didn't end up where it was meant to go. So, but that's I'd it. I almost that's... give it five stars. Yeah. Say what? I'd almost give it five stars. I think I did give it five stars, didn't I? We both gave it four. Oh, I'm upgrading. I'm going to a five. I'm a five on this. All one. right, we're doing it. It's a Hall of Fame song now. <gasps> did we do that just now? Did we just we upgrade? Did. A song? did we just push a song into the Hall of Fame at the we're during just... the last moment of the tracks series? We did. So unexpected. That's two track songs in the Hall of Fame, JB. It's That's this, right. And good man is hard We're to find. We're making some corrections. Oof. I love We're writing it. some wrongs. It's a time for that. Man, if if that ain't the truth. Uh, all right. Well, that's it. We we just we've done it. We talked all the way through the entire four disc box set of tracks. JB, do you feel do you feel like you understand it better? Do you feel more connected yeah. to this box set than ever before? I feel like I appreciate it more. Uh, you know, a couple of them, the discs more as discs. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I don't know. That's the problem with tracks. Is like disc four has some of the worst songs Bruce has ever made, and some of the best he's ever made on it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, th- uh, yeah, the Brothers Under the Bridge and gave it a name. I feel like, man, those those are good. The, those sad, those deserve a and better. Sad home. eyes and leave it train. Oh, sad. Yeah, I forgot about sad eyes, but yeah, sad eyes and even back in your arms. I, I wouldn't be mad about back in your arms or happy, but yeah, it's yeah. they're all buried somewhere next to like um, Trouble in Paradise and yeah. other. You know, oh, uh, Trouble in Paradise is a song. <laughs> it's just not good. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I say that Don Henley covers it. Let me know. I'll listen. Yeah, <laughs> I fully expect that to happen. But as one day. it's over, I'll be like, "What a chump!" <laughs> freaking Don Henley, um, Don, Don freaking Don Henley. Uh, I don't know why. <laughs> I just think like the Blue Jean Committee is the way I think of the Eagles now, and I prefer it that way. <laughs> well, on that Cat- note, maybe. Uh, so next week we're gonna be off because we one of the things we we set out to do is every time we hit the end of a decade we take a week off to regroup and we're definitely going to need that week off because we're going to hit the the aughts the 2000s man bruce put out a lot of stuff in the 2000s really got rolling in the 2000s there are there are five releases in 10 years that's incredible there's yeah so you got you got off the top of my head you got the rising you got devils and dust you got we shall overcome magic and working on a dream all in a seven-year span of time, from 2002 to 2009. There's a, that's a lot of output for a guy his age. So, for I mean, really anybody's age. So and and he puts out uh, two live records too. Oh, you're right. He's got live Which in New York we're not and covering, live in Dublin. Yeah, you're right. But I mean, live in Dublin is almost his own thing. Should we do live in Dublin? I don't know. Oh, live in New York three. Live in New York. London, which is an old recording, but still, and then live in Dublin. I don't know. Should we do live in Dublin? It's mostly the same songs, but it sounds totally different. Let's just kind of talk about it when we do We Shall Overcome. Well, and there's also, there's there's versions of other, there's like Atlantic City, there's Highway yeah. Patrolman, there's other stuff that he, like, re- blinded by the, there's like a Celtic version of Blinded by the Light, you know, so like, man, I don't know, maybe we should do live in Dublin. Okay. I, I was thinking about have, how much I, I like those Seeger songs uh, with, the, with the, the live band today. That could be good. We might we yeah let's let's give that a little bit of a thought. Let's play by ear. I, yeah. I know we're gonna have listeners who are, who are gonna advocate for it. So I mean maybe we should. I don't know. Um, I'll yeah. If if you think we should, we should. What do you think? All right, all right, all right. Let's do it. All right, we're doing it. Live in Dublin's gonna end it. So I mean, all right. So now we've got six things to talk about in the aughts. So uh, yeah, and all that to say, we're gonna take a week off next time next week, and then we'll be back in the feed hopefully the following week, and we're gonna talk about the rising. So. 
Um, and by the way, now that we're fully in the CD era, like the albums are just going to get long. Like the rising is so long. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for a one disc album. Um, yeah. All right. Well, then, if you're a patron of ours, then you can jump over to the main feed. We're going to talk about our favorite books of the 2010s. And if you're not a patron, that's fine, too. And we'll see you all uh, in a couple of weeks when we talk about The Rising. So, JB, we'll catch you later. All right. Later. Later.